Welcome to another edition of the Helipod, folks. My pleasure to be joined by Mike Tannenbaum, ESPN front office insider. You probably remember him as the executive vice president of the Dolphins, the general manager of the Jets. He's been an agent. He has all kinds of stuff going on, and we have all kinds of stuff to talk about. Mike, thanks for being here, buddy. Great to be with you, Dan. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I did not realize uh, when you agreed to do this and I booked it that the franchise tag deadline would be today coming up here in just a uh, couple of hours. But but it does give us something to talk about, Mike. There's uh, five tags that have been uh, handed down, probably two more to come. And to me, almost as interesting as some of the people who have been tagged, like Chris Godwin, uh, are some of the guys who haven't been tagged, like like Bud Dupree. Um, and now that would have been a second franchise tag coming off a torn ACL. Was, was that one of the more surprising players who didn't receive the tag for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and when you look at the pass rushers over the last couple of days, uh, you know, we're taping this Tuesday afternoon, you know, Carlos Dunlap gets cut. They, Tampa Bay goes with Godwin over Barrett. So Barrett's Shaq Barrett's going to be out there. And now, as you mentioned, Bud Dupree, that's three pass rushers. So um, somewhat of a surprise, you know, Dupree, I believe, is 28 years old, one healthy. He is a really good pass rusher. Obviously, as you mentioned, the injury. And I wonder if it's a situation where Pittsburgh is saying, like, look, we're going to have to pay T.J. Watt. It just may be hard to pay both. So I was surprised that Dupree made it out there. And who knows, maybe they get a deal done in the next week before free agency. The Dak deal, um, I feel like you saw this coming yesterday. Great clip on SportsCenter with you and uh, Orlovsky and you're saying, yeah, four years, 160 million, his jaw literally, you know, had dropped on uh, television. And I'm like, wow, 40 million a year for Dak. But considering where they started, I guess not a huge surprise. We always want in the media and as football fans to say who won and who lost. Is there a winner in this one or is it kind of good for both Mike? Well, I think when you look through it, the lens of, you know, for Dak, like, Every number in this deal is just incredible. The one that, by the way, like just stood out to me was $106 million in 16 months. I mean, that that's a lot of money, you know, yeah. in 16 months that he's going to earn. Um, one thing in fairness to Dallas, where because I feel like Dallas is getting, um, and, and I certainly have too, just in terms of criticizing the fact that they waited so long, is if you go back to the fact that he played last year for a little over $31 million, and you look at the next four years, Dan, at 160. So you're looking at about a little over 191 for five. That's about 38 to a year. That's less than Deshaun Watson on average per year. So if we go back a couple of years ago and, you know, a lot of reports were about there was a disagreement on length and how long the deal would be. And Dallas did get five years. Last year was one plus four. They did get five years. Now we could sit here and say it's too much, too many guarantees, um, but they did get five years. The other thing to me that's really remarkable is – you know, for years in our sport, we're always talking about risk and who's assuming it and injuries, and this is a different sport. Dak Prescott had an unbelievable injury and somehow, remarkably, it went to his benefit. Right, right. Well, I just feel like at the quarterback position, when's the last time we saw an injury really affect the dollar value of a contract? I feel like we have to go all the way back to – to Drew Brees, right. With the, with the shoulder injury and him not ending up in Miami and then ending up in new Orleans. They're so, they're so protected. Now you can, you can tear an ACL and be back the next year. You can hurt your ankle and be back the next year, unless it's something that has to do with the throwing arm shoulder. Um, quarterbacks are different. 
Yeah, I dealt with that a little bit. I was leaving Miami and when they moved on from Ryan Tannehill, but obviously he was coming off of an ACL, went to Tennessee as a backup for Marcus Mariota, and obviously the rest is history. But by and large, your, your point is really well taken. With, with Tannehill, I'm glad you brought that up. I do the preseason games for, for the Titans and um, obviously did not do any last year because there were no preseason games. But it's been fun to watch his, his evolution there. Um, is that obviously not something you saw coming, but how big of a surprise was that to you? Not at all. It was a zero surprise. People don't forget, like, in 2016, he led us to the playoffs in Miami. When, when he's healthy, he was a really good quarterback. He's remained a really good quarterback. The one thing about Ryan Tannehill that he does a terrible job of is draw attention to himself. He is a selfless guy that has played really good football for a long time. And um, before I got to Miami, it was interesting. People just felt like he was an up-and-down player. And I was in the building 10 minutes. I remember talking to – Everyone, I'm like, this guy's really good. And we extended him at the time, Dan. Like, I mean, it's 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 almost crazy to say this, but we extended him at 17 million a year, which was like a big number. I remember, and it was like yeah. a big risk. Like now, like that's almost like a backup. It's incredible. Um, and that was six short years ago. And um, Ryan Tannehill to me is a underrated player. And when you look at what he's done in Tennessee, it's he's really taken his game to another level. He's even a better person, so I'm very happy for his success. I, I do have to agree with you on everything you said there, including the fact this is these are my words, not yours. He is probably the worst self promoter of any of the 32 starting quarterbacks. You know, not super active on social media, perfectly content being a family man living down there in South Florida during the off season. Um, that's almost an anomaly now. We don't see that as much anymore. Yeah, and that's just the way he's hardwired, the way he was raised. He's a great dad, great husband, um, really wants to see other people succeed, but he's a world-class competitor. And people don't understand what kind of ability he has. And I think, you know, Tennessee is obviously, it's been a great situation for him, for Tennessee, and very happy. Well, let, let's go to uh, Russell Wilson. Obviously, Dallas, one of the destinations that his agent uh, put out there as a possible trade partner does not look like the Raiders, um, you know, are, are willing to move on from, from Derek Carr at this point. That leaves two teams, right? That leaves the Bears and the Saints, both of whom have cap issues. I think the Saints are like $50 million over the cap right now. Um, and to me, the question for Russell, because I, I don't see them really parting ways, is is the situation tenable from here on out? And I, I think it is. I think it's him just kind of throwing something out there to see if it sticks. Um if you were in Seattle right now as the general manager, what would it take to part with Russell Wilson? Well, the short answer, Dan, is I wouldn't. I would go fly to see Russell, and I'd sit down and and really try to work things out. I, I, I think the reason he's upset is here's a remarkable statistic. There's three players on offense in Seattle that are not on rookie deals. Like their roster construction is so lopsided towards defense. Plus they just gave up two ones for Jabal Adams. That's just the way, you know, Pete Carroll wants to build the team. Um, but for me to trade them, gosh, I, I don't know, maybe three ones, but the object of the exercise is to get a productive, high character, tough, durable, Super Bowl winning quarterback. If he's in your building, like, why would you let him leave? Right. Well, and, and essentially, and it's funny, Mike, I feel like I've been talking about this every single week since the Super Bowl on the podcast in terms of Russell and Deshaun Watson, but it's just, it's fascinating to me. And you talk about a high character guy, Deshaun certainly fits in that mold, um, you know, top five, top six, top seven, wherever you want to put him, NFL quarterback who just signed that deal. 
and I've heard you say this before, and I think it's a really good point. Obviously, something has gone wrong in that building, whether it's, you know, with ownership or, you know, whoever in upper level management and Deshaun, but he signed that deal after D-Hop left. So there's a very short window when things went south there. And you, you don't want to set a precedent if you're in Houston in terms of becoming more like the NBA. And there's obviously a lot of player empowerment going on right now. And, you know, we saw it with James Harden, right? He essentially talked his way out of Houston and Deshaun's not that same type of guy, but you, you would not trade him almost period, right? There's, there's no if, ands or buts. Yeah. I would put effort and energy Dan into trying to solve the problem and really starts with Cal McNair. There's a reason Deshaun Watson's making 39 million a year. He needs to be the most important person in the franchise. It's not David Cully. It's not Nick Casario. It's Deshaun Watson and Cal McNair. Somehow you created this. You got to go fix it. And again, as you mentioned, Dan, he signed the contract after DeAndre Hopkins was traded. So something happened. And, you know, it's funny. We mentioned, we talked about Ryan Tannehill before. I ran a couple of head coaching searches in my career where both Chad Pennington and Ryan Tannehill met with some of the coaching candidates. And I said to both those guys, I'm like, look, your job is to play quarterback, but your opinion matters. We believe in you. We trust you. And we want your feedback when you talk to these coaches. And that doesn't mean we're going to make that you're going to make the decision, but your feedback is important. And it, what's interesting is when you look at what presumably happened, I think that's what Deshaun Watson wanted was, you know, a chance to say, Hey, like, here's what I think. And again, I don't know the way that was communicated. It's hard because on the one hand, you want a player to feel valued, to be, feel respected. But on the other hand, they also have to know they're not making a decision. It's a little bit of a fine line, but again, I know in my own experience, being part of those searches, Dan, like Pennington and Tannehill were like greatly appreciated. And by the way, so the candidates that talk to those players also, that's one of the reasons they may take the job. Like they want to talk to the starting quarterback. So there's a time and a way to do it. And whatever happened, happened, but it's really up to Cal McNair to sit down, look to Sean in the eye, apologize, own it. And just more importantly, like let's move forward together. Like, there's too much success here that we can all accomplish together. Let's put this behind us and work together on how we can solve it moving forward. But you, if you had to, in that situation, you would, you would take a hard line and say, I totally understand where you're coming from, but we, we can't let you go. We can't trade you. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the way I would approach it though, Dan is because I do think words matter is like, look, we signed you to this record setting contract because we value you. Like you're really important to us and you received the security that you justly deserve. So this is a long-term relationship and we hit a bump in the road that we're going to try to work to smooth out. That's where the options are. Now, if you want to retire, we totally understand and respect that you can do that. But just so we're on the same page, our expectations are we're going to work hard. So you have a great year and you're fulfilled and happy here. And I think the decision they really have to make, Dan, at the end of the day to cut through it is we're either going to keep them or trade them. And if we're going to keep them, you got to decide that in March of 2021 and Cal McNair, David Culley, and Nick Casario have to have a bond that we're not going to read a thing. We're not going to listen to a thing and we're going. And if we got to go sign Ryan Fitzpatrick or play with AJ McCann, whatever we got to do, and we'll deal with Deshaun next February. Because at some point, what happens is, and I live this with Darrell Rivas, like I was really worried Darrell Rivas was going to sit out a year. 
And I knew we had a really good team, but I was scared to death that like I was going to screw it up and he wasn't going to be there. And you're going to have that pit in the stomach. But at some point he's going to have a pit in the stomach. Like, well, wait a second. The NFL is going to go on without me. Can I really not play? Like, am I really that justified in my position? And there's going to be a couple of moments in time where there's going to be some both really difficult conversations on both sides of the table. How realistic, Mike, is it to say we're not going to read anything or listen to anything? Uh, I mean, you know, again, says it. yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, that's such a good point because every one of us like publicly, we're like, you know, when you're with your team, like, Oh, we don't read anything. And you know, our heads down. And to, to a certain extent that is true, but I mean, it's impossible. And, and to, to be candid, really what happens is everybody around you reads it and they're like, can you believe what that guy wrote about you? I'm like, uh, that I didn't matter. I'm like, what? You know, like, and then also like, you know, you, you, you peek up and you're like, that didn't, did they really say that about me? That's not true. And then like, you know, you get these jobs because you're driven and you're competitive and you believe in yourself. And then look, when you have the privilege of these jobs, Dan, here's what happens. Like, you know, you're going to get criticized. Like that's just going to happen. What used to drive me nuts to be candid is the unfair criticism, because you're going to make enough mistakes that, you got to own them, learn from them, grow from them. And that's totally part of, you know, the world of being in the NFL. What's really hard is where people just take shots at you that aren't right or fair. And that's what you have to deal with. And if you're David Culley's wife or Nick Casario's wife, you're going to read things that are going to be really hard. And to say that won't impact things is, I think, is being really short-sighted. Yeah, we had Sean O'Hara on a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking – about Nick Casario and that decision that he was going to have to make. And O'Hara made a great point. He said, do you want that to be your first major decision in Houston to get rid of the franchise quarterback that's supposed to be there for another 12 to 15 years? I mean, you wouldn't even want to go out and eat in public at a restaurant in Houston. That, that has to be, I, I can't imagine. And, you know, I see it all the time. You, you've been on both sides now um, in terms of GM, agent, media, I've spent my whole career in the media and I've seen a lot of that, you know, unfair bashing. And to me, it primarily comes from guys that don't have to see you that don't have to see the players in the locker room. It's the national sports talk radio guys that are trying to fill three hours and they can throw something out there and they never have to really look you in the eye and tell you, tell you why that happened. So that, I, I don't know if it's dangerous, but that's to me the most unfair part. Yeah. You know, and but you know, coach for ourselves would say, Hey, you know, this isn't for everybody, like, no bars on the windows. Um, and it's your job as a leader to, you know, either ignore it or do something about it. Um, but that's just part and parcel for what you sign up for. And to be candid, you know, and just talking to my peers over the years, there is a very fundamental difference about where you are. Like, if you're in the Northeast, <coughs> the scrutiny is times 10. If you're in other pockets, like if you're in Tampa Bay or Arizona or some of these smaller markets, they're, they're almost like rooting for you guys to be successful. Um, that's not the case in the Northeast. I felt like, to be honest, I felt like the Northeast was very fair. Like when it was great, it was really, really good. When it was bad, it was really, really bad, but that's really what you deserve. So um, it is different though. It's not a one size fits all approach in the NFL. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, from, I'm just thinking about certain markets, like you like you mentioned, whether it's Tampa or, or Nashville is another medium-sized city. Green Bay is a, a perfect one. 
Um, you know, the spotlight's just different. You know, even LA is different than New York. I, I feel like Philly and New York, they're under the most intense microscope in the National Football League. Is there another city you could put up there with them? Not that I know of. I think Philly and New York would be certainly up there. Um, you know, certain cities, certain times of year, possibly. Um, but I, th I think it certainly starts there. Um, it's just, and again, like I loved it. I grew up there. Right. I totally knew what to expect. But there were other coaches and GMs that I worked with there where they were just blown away by what was going on. And um, again, some people can thrive there and some people it's just not for them. Well, you got free agency and the new league year starting up next Wednesday at St. Patrick's Day. But um, as you know, that I, I don't know why we keep calling this the legal tampering window that starts on Monday. That's when we're going to start hearing a lot about these deals. What, why don't they just say free agency starts on Monday, Mike? Why do we have to call it a legal tampering window to make it sound illegal? Because that's just the proclivities of the NFL that we're a little bit of a tradition sort of rich environment so i think that's the proper nomenclature to use but yeah free agency starts monday let's go yeah so salary cap drop and obviously it's a pretty big drop it's gonna be somewhere between 180 and 185 coming down from almost 200 million last year um you've talked about this a lot of people have talked about this and people have said it's the it's the middle class that's really going to suffer to me it's more the kind of the upper middle class right maybe the you know the seven eight million dollar running back some of the guys that are uh, waiting for that new second contract that they're expecting to be big. As a general manager, there's a lot of value out there right now, and there will be. And you you think it's going to be maybe a couple of weeks in, you're still going to be able to pick up guys who can be starters and really help your football team. So, Dan, mark my words. We're, we're taping this on, on March 9th. If we're having this conversation on April 9th, mark my words. We could put together a playoff caliber team with the 22 best unsigned players there will be a really good football team to be had. Um, look at the last 24, 48 hours. Carlos Dunlap, Shaq Barrett, and Bud Dupree are all available. Like, we could right now start off with a really good three set of pass rushers. And there'll be a quarterback out there, maybe expected, maybe unexpected. But we could put together, my prediction is, a playoff caliber team with 22 unsigned players. That's incredible. Is there is there a quarterback – Give me a surprise move that you think could happen, like a, a Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo getting cut, Jameis Winston signing with the Patriots. Something that you think is is relatively unexpected that, that's going to happen. A big move. I think if we were sitting here on May first, it wouldn't surprise me if the Patriots added two quarterbacks. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if they added veteran X. So, call it Jimmy Garoppolo and drafted Mac Jones. I think knowing the way Coach Belichick is and how competitive he is and when he sees a problem, he attacks it. Um, one of the things I really learned, you know, under him and Coach Parcells is, you know, there's musts, there's needs, there's wants. And when you have something like a must where it's so urgent and so prevalent, I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about maybe it's Ryan Fitzpatrick and Trey Lance or some combination where we're seeing multiple new quarterbacks there. Time for a quick break to tell you about a couple of our sponsors. The first is Greens Plus, a leader since 1989, known for creating the first ever blended green superfood powder and the first company to infuse that green superfood powder into a bar. Greens Plus bars and powders are the best tasting, most effective way to improve your immunity, detox your body, 
boost your energy, and get that nutritional insurance that your body needs from organic, gluten-free, premium green superfoods. You can get it at Whole Foods, Amazon, or greensplus.com. We're going to give you free shipping and 20% off today if you use the promo code HELI. That's greensplus.com. Also wanted to tell you about VACO. That's V-A-C-O. At VACO, they invest in your career, so you are here for the duration of theirs. VACO is a premier talent and solutions firm that provides boutique-level service with global reach in the areas of consulting, consultative project resources, executive search, permanent placement, and strategic staffing. Areas of expertise include C-suite search, accounting, finance, technology, healthcare IT, operations, administration, and international managed services. Founded by my good buddy, Brian Waller, and a couple of his friends. In 2002, Vaco has grown to serve over 40 markets across the globe. They have 1,000 employees, 5,000 consultants, and $750 million in revenue. Check them out at Vaco.com. That's V-A-C-O.com for more info on how Vaco connects people to their dream jobs and helps leading companies find talent to grow their businesses. What did you enjoy more? Being a general manager or being an agent? You know, there was moments of fulfillment for both. Um, you know, I will tell you the most fulfilling moment I ever had as a GM was we had made the playoffs um, in my first year. And I still know exactly where I was driving home. And I got a call from Ron Wolf. And Ron's a hero of mine, like an idol, a little bit of a mentor. But and he called me. And he's like, hey, congratulations, Mike. Like, you led a team to the playoffs. Nobody knows how hard it is except for the other 30 dummies that do this for a living. And you should go home tonight. And I want you to feel great about yourself. And I'll go to my grave with that conversation because like to earn the respect of Ron Wolf as a New York city NFL general manager, I was good. Um, I also remember uh, having the great fortune Dan of doing Steve Kerr's deal with the warriors. And it was like nip and tuck. He was either going to be a Nick, or he was going to be a warrior. We worked together for a year, one of the greatest privileges of my life, both personally and professionally, because Steve's a really remarkable guy. And um, when we got the deal done, he's like, you know, Mike, this wouldn't have happened without you. Like for a year, you got me ready to be an NBA head coach. And I just want to thank, you know, it, it really means a lot what you did for me. And, you know, that's another moment, like I'll never forget. And th those are things that like, that's why you work really, really hard. And, get lucky in my case where right place at the right time. So I don't know if it's one or the other, but it was just moments of like great fulfillment. The Steve Kerr story is great. I, I, you took me back. I had forgotten that it was between the Knicks and the Warriors. And who did the Knicks hire? Derek Fisher? Yeah. They hired Derek Fisher as their head coach. I mean, can you imagine had he not gone to the Warriors, how different his coaching career would have been? Was it at the time – was that fit or was that money or was it all of the above? How, how did, how did that go? Well, as the great Mike Tomlin would say, some of that's really between me and my basement wall. So, um, <laughs> but what I can say is, you know, it was extraordinarily close. I spent a lot of time with Phil Jackson, who was at the time running the Knicks. And, you know, it's funny, like I still see Steve from time to time, not often, but you know, the running joke is like, Hey Steve, thank God for me. Cause if not, you would have been the head coach. And by this point, the ex coach of the Knicks. So, all these rings that you have with the Warriors, it's because of me. Um, you know, I think the Knicks made a very fundamental mistake, which was 
they underrated the well they the relationship between Steve Kerr and Phil Jackson was very real, very authentic. Steve had a very very good relationship with a gentleman named Rick Welch. So at one point, you know, Steve's really an unbelievable guy, you know, great player, Hall of Fame player, obviously broadcaster, but he was also an effective NBA GM, which most people kind of forget yeah, with the Suns. Phoenix. Yeah, that's exactly right, Dan. So the person who was the president of the Suns was a gentleman named Rick Welts. Rick went on to become the president of the Warriors. Steve was very close with him. And Steve also had kids that were going to school in the Bay Area. So there was more sort of like connections organically with the Warriors than the Knicks ever thought. And I think they felt like we were bluffing. And I'll never forget, you know, I used this line with the Knicks. And I said, look, you know, we've been talking for a long time here. And I want to honor this discussion by letting you know that the Golden State Warriors are a very viable option for Steve. And you live, you know, it's Cablevision. You live in a world where you have leverage and know how to live and exert leverage. But I'm giving you the answers to the test. You do not have leverage. So tomorrow, when you read that Steve Kerr is a Golden State Warrior, remember this conversation. We are not bluffing. And I know you don't realize that, but just remember this conversation. And that was the last time we spoke and the rest is history. And I think they always felt that, you know, if Steve would be a Nick and Steve was a very authentic, transparent person. And I don't think they ever felt that he would not leave or he would not choose because of Phil, the Knicks over the Warriors. And obviously the rest is history. How many guys were you representing at the time? I know Dave Blatt was, was another one that. Yeah. 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 No, there was, there was a bunch and maybe the thing I was probably most proud of, you know, there was like Bryce Drew and, but there were so many great young coaches that we had identified. We kind of had the system and I mean, it was great. It was guys now like Matt LaFleur and Anthony Lynn, um, like guys that we really believed in that could be, I'm like, we are going to load up with as many first rounders as possible. And that was really the part I was really most proud of was like, I nailed a lot of great young coaches that went on to do great things and very, very happy for them. And and that part was fun and exciting and um, felt like I can really help them, you know, get ready because I've hired a number of coaches in my career. And I felt like going to the other side of the table, it allowed me to kind of give them the answers to the test and really prep them because it was amazing when I was probably part of like five coaching searches, Dan, that how unprepared some people come in for interview. It, it, it's like, it was shocking. That's I'm glad you brought that up because I always wondered when you, when you're some of these guys who are interviewing for head coaching jobs and your team's in the playoffs or uh, where there's, there's a window right before the playoffs start. And then they've changed it a couple of times. I'm not sure exactly what the rules are now, but um, I know it does. They're, they're talking about changing it again, obviously. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, a prime example of, you know, having been in the Super Bowl the last two years, um, he's at a disadvantage, a strategic disadvantage from getting some of these jobs because he's, he's doing his own job trying to prepare for these interviews. W- without, without naming names, because I've heard about, to the lengths a lot of these guys do go to prepare. Was there, is there anybody that came in and, and didn't have, hadn't studied the team, hadn't studied the roster, didn't have any type of game plan moving forward? Yeah, there was a number of times where it, it felt like they wanted us to interview them and they were going to pick where they were going to go. And, you know, for me, I like, I think I wake up every day, day, Dan, and I don't feel like I'm like the most like confident person. So I know for me, like I have to be prepared. Like 
sports center, like get up, like the people I'm on with get up are unbelievable. Like we start the night before there's a 6 a.m. meeting. We script it again. Like by the time you see it on TV, it's like our fourth time doing it. Like that's what I love. You know, right. when I do negotiations, like I was the youngest GM in the NFL in New York. I was scared to death, like never felt like I deserved the job. And the only way I could get through the day was like, I'm going to be the first one in and the last to leave. And no one's going to outwork me. No one's going to be more prepared. I never have a phone call where I don't know more about that person than they know about me. And that's really like helped me in my career. Like I fall back on my preparation and it bothers me when I'm in situations where like they don't know about our owner or they don't know, they got to be able to put three senses together about like your defense or your offense or, Hey, and well within your rights to say, Hey Mike, like, why'd you guys do that? That, that didn't make sense. And they basically, I saw multiple candidates just basically eliminate themselves. And for all the things that I know I don't get right, like preparation isn't going to be one of them. How much would you take into account when you were hiring a head coach, public perception of the hire? You know, I'd like to see her say none, but that that's not true. Um, it's going to be a factor. It just is. But I also feel like sometimes it's an opportunity. I'll give you a great example. Like Rex. You know, Rex Ryan was passed over multiple times. And we knew that, you know, Rex is one of these guys that goes through life where I don't know one person who doesn't have a strong opinion about Rex. People either love him or people, let's just say, don't love him. You know, his bravado isn't for everybody, but for some, like players would walk on water for him. And we did enough research down, like we knew exactly what we were getting. Um, I felt very confident in our process and it was exactly what it turned out to be. Like Rex's was, was tremendous. It was a great hire. And, you know, there was some blowback, but for us, it was the right guy at the right time. And two championship games later, it turned out to certainly be the right decision. It's funny you said about Rex. Cause I, I had a, certainly a, an opinion of Rex where I thought he was just way too out there and he made it difficult on players with some of the things he would say in the media. But in reality, I think he was taking some of the pressure off the players and the guys who I've talked to about Rex, to your point, uh, LaDainian Tomlinson and, and Deion Sanders love the guy. Um, yeah. absolutely L- love the guy. Yeah. LT was super for our program. Like LT is such a special guy. Like awesome. I, I just wish we could have won a super bowl for him and, um, just really, like, I couldn't say enough great things about him and he really connected with Rex and not to like stereotype here, but like, you know, oftentimes a defensive head coach isn't going to resonate with the offensive guys. Like there's a little bit of, you know, especially when you're someone like Rex, where like you were coming out of the womb, let's say because of your dad, you know, so sometimes there's a little bit of like, Hey, you guys got that side of the ball. Let me know what happens. But Rex really worked hard to have great relationships with Sanchez or Tomlinson. And that was one of the reasons we were so successful. Like those guys would walk on water for him. Let, let's delve into your, your old team, the Jets, and what they're facing right now. Um, can you afford to roll the dice again? If you look at Darnold and, um, and you're, you know, Mike LaFleur and Robert Sala, and you say, you know what? He hasn't been really given the opportunity to flourish. I think we can give him that. We have draft capital. You know, we have room to sign some free agents. He's going to be healthy. Can you afford to roll the dice with him? If you're not sure, you think he's going to be okay with the lack of talent coming up in, in next year's draft at quarterback because it is slim pickings. Yeah, I think you just answered the question, which is if you're not sure, then 
I think that answers the question. At some point to me, like greatness has to manifest itself. And I think Sam Darnold has a chance to be good. He had 22 interceptions in college. He has 39 in his first three years in the pros, seven fumbles. I think he's a great person and wants to be great. I think it's a chance to be good. But, boy, if we sat here, Dan, and we just watched 50 plays on Sam and 50 on Zach Wilson, in my opinion, I go with Zach Wilson. I think he has a chance to be great. And here's something else that's really interesting. Like, if we had as part of this conversation Sean McDermott and Sean, we said, hey, Sean, you have a magic wand and you can wave it. Who do you want to defend for the next five years at the Jets? Do you want to have to defend Sam Darnold or Zach Wilson? He answered that question. And here's what I'm, here's my point. In my career, I had the great fortune of working for great defensive coaches, Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick, Eric Mangini, Rex Ryan. 100% of the time, Dan, they wanted to procure offensive players they struggled defending. So tight ends, slot receivers. Like, look at Belichick. Look at all the slot receivers he's acquired. Look at all the tight ends because it's hard for him to defend those players. Look at Rex. He loved Brad Smith. He wanted Tim Tebow. He wanted quarterbacks that could make plays with their feet because he can't defend it. Sean McDermott drafted Josh Allen, who is a guy that can make plays outside the pocket, great arm strength, great athlete. Zach Wilson isn't as big as Josh Allen, but is very stylistically similar. So if Sean McDermott was on this podcast and we said, hey, Sean, congratulations, you now have the superpower to decide who you have to defend at the Jets. I promise you he'd rather have to defend Darnold than Wilson. Great point. Mike, you got to update your, your 33rd team uh, rankings, dude. You have Justin Fields as your number two quarterback right now. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get on that. And I appreciate, appreciate you mentioning that 33rdteam.com. And there's a whole bunch of us GMs, head coaches, and we sit around and talk about things like that. And we will adjust those rankings accordingly as this podcast is over. Um, I was, I was just checking out the website. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about it. It's a, it's a football think tank. You have a lot of people involved. I saw you had a friend of mine, Jade McCarthy, who's been writing some stuff for the website as well. Um, tell me a little bit more about 3013. Yeah, Dan, I totally stumbled into it. So, uh, I had the good fortune of getting hired by ESPN right when Bill Pullian was retiring and they asked me to do the draft. So I went to, uh, Bristol, Connecticut and Amherst, Massachusetts, about 45 minutes away. I went there. My family and I do a lot there. We provide scholarships for people that want to get involved in sports. So we basically hired a few really smart grad students in their sport management program and created like a little bit of a database. And then like very quickly, like I realized like there's coaches from Wade Phillips, Eric Mangini, um, countless others that are between opportunities that want to stay current. And before the pandemic, we start having these, um, zoom calls and i remember like getting off of one of them and we're watching tape and ranking players i'm like told my wife that i'm like you know like it's weird like these zoom calls like work pretty well like i'm not like in a draft room but it's pretty close to normal and then sure enough like the world changed and it really uh we just kind of hit something and we get 50 people on this call every weekend and we go over everything from clock management to a contract to watching tape we had Coach Phillips two weeks ago break down film on why was Todd Bowles so successful in the Super Bowl. It was really cool to hear someone like Coach Phillips's expertise break down like somebody else. Like, why, how do you stop Patrick Mahomes? <clears throat> so the content was riveting. And then we just started putting our thoughts down on paper and we produced this free newsletter. And, you know, just based on people opening it, um, 
we have a little bit of a following. So it's the 33rdteam.com. And my goal is two things. One is help coaches stay current. So like Dan Quinn was a big participant in it until he went back to Dallas. I keep joking that Jerry Jones tampered with me and I lost, you know, Dan Quinn. And then um, if I could help young students, uh, young men and women who want to work in sports, they're getting great, great experience because what we do is like we'll pair like a grad student. If a coach like Dan Quinn's a great example, Dan needed some research. We gave him a couple of great grad students. It gave the grad students experience with a former NFL head coach. And, you know, we're talking about preparation, you know, it allowed Dan to work on some studies that he wanted to work on while he was waiting on his next opportunity. Which is great. Wow. It, I'm trying to go back and think of the first time I heard of anything remotely similar to this. Was it, was it Gruden's fired football coaches association? Yeah. Was that yeah, the the yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, it's funny, ironically, like a hundred years ago, I had spent time with John. I got to know John. I was, um, I interviewed with John for the general manager job with Tampa Bay going back a long time when they hired Bruce Allen and kind of connected with John through that whole process. That was like, I'll never forget that. I spent like five hours with John talking football, like maybe two feet away from him in a dark room. And I'll never forget, you know, John's such a great recruiter. So I think I'm getting the job. And we went like five hours and literally Dan, like we did not stop, like no bathroom breaks, nothing to drink. Like, you know, like, it wasn't like he was whining and dining me, I, you know, and we just talked all for five hours. It was, you know, I was exhausted, but it was a great experience. But anyway, so I got to know John, spent time with him in Tampa on this FFCA, which was the Fire Football Coaches Association. And basically, like what we do now is like what I say is like we are a professional football team. We are the 33rd team and our standards and our work product. And we are going to be beholden to what would be like to actually being with a team. And because of the pandemic, we're, we're really doing really as much as anybody. And what I've found is um, we also have player personnel directors from each conference um, in college. So we have great information on when they were recruited in terms of like their background and character. And then other people just reach out to us. So like now we're again, doing stuff in officiating, we're doing stuff in clock management. And the whole goal is on these calls, Dan, is like when we hang up, you know, was that a good use of our time? And, you know, I could just, I'm proud to say that we're getting better and hopefully we're again, helping young people get to where they want to go in terms of getting to the NFL. I love it. What, what a tremendous uh, idea and, and you're carrying it on and these grad students, what an awesome opportunity, right? To be able to link up with former head coaches or coordinators or scouting directors, because eventually that that's going to lead to something for them as well. Yeah, that's the whole idea of it. I started off as an unpaid intern while I was in law school and drove my bosses to the airport and got to pick their brains. And um, that's kind of what the equivalent is right now virtually. And they bring like differentiated information. Like we, we've done studies on, you know, coaching staffs and what's the best way to comprise them and who's had the most success from a continuity standpoint. Um, you know, there's a lot to look at. And I think too, like where our sport is, Dan, like, I'm not sure this would have worked 15 years ago because I think people are much more open-minded now. You know, you see more women involved. Um, you see more analytics, like you see people with different backgrounds. And I think the landscape for, is much better and much more receptive for different ideas than it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. With the 33rd team, I'm sure you're talking about some of these draft prospects that are coming out and you're probably dealing with 
uh, the same challenges that a lot of these scouting departments around the NFL are going to be dealing with. There's no combine, a bunch of big time players opted out. So you're going to be faced with a prospect of potentially spending a first round draft pick on a guy that you haven't seen on the football field in well over a calendar year. Um, when you combine all these different circumstances, to me, I look at it and I just say, teams are going to be less likely to take risks and, and they're going to put more of an emphasis on the actual tape that they have seen. Is that, is that a fair uh, assumption? Dan, I agree with you a hundred percent. And what's interesting is um, when you talk to people around the league, you really could bifurcate them in terms of, you know, let's just talk about Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith. Like, I think if Chase plays, he's the no-brainer first receiver. And if we're in a normal year, it would be held against somebody to opt out because they're not competitive. They're not doing everything they can. I mean, the interesting juxtaposition was I'm at the national championship game and Jalen Waddle literally, Dan, is out there on one leg. I mean, it was hard to watch. Like, the guy is limping. But, boy, from a competitor standpoint, like, you couldn't be more impressed or more sort of, like, as an evaluator, like, give him incredible credit. And then on the other hand, Jamar Chase doesn't play a snap, but he's a better football player coming out of college than Justin Jefferson. And look what Jefferson just did for Minnesota. Yeah. Jefferson was the number two. That's incredible. Yeah. And then you say to yourself, Dan, okay, if we were running a team, like, do you really hold it against Jamar Chase? Like, this is a – once in a century pandemic, like maybe he had a loved one impacted by COVID. Maybe he had a pre-existing condition. Who, who knows? And I think it's going to be hard to hold it against people to opt out because of a pandemic. Well, I think it's going to be fascinating to track and to see throughout. Um, Mike, thank you so much for the time. Very generous of you. I really appreciate it. Uh, big fan of your work. I love seeing you. Uh, I love seeing you active on Twitter too. with putting up all the, uh, the, the clips. Cause I know, Hey, listen, I know a lot of our analysts, it takes a little while for them to figure out, you know, how to get those clips up and get the video from the network and do all that stuff. But you, you seem to have figured it out pretty quickly. My friend, I got a lot of help, Dan. Trust me when I say that I got a lot of help. <laughs> you and me both brother, Mike, I really appreciate the time, man. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate your work. And I've always been a fan of you, Dan. And think you always, uh, you're fair, you're thorough and I've always done things the right way. So I appreciate you having me. Thank you.